Lovely. Uh, well, it's a great honour and privilege. Um, I've known uh, Andy, who's going to come and speak to us now for a long time. Back in the day, we both had hair when we met. Uh, so that just shows how old we are. Um, uh, so I've known Andy a long time, and he's an amazing guy. You know, when you spend time with some people, they just give. You like, you just get stuff from them. And I know, and every time I spend that stuff time with Andy, I just get so much. And I, I'm really praying this morning that you, all you guys, uh, get a real blessing, real good. We've heard this morning, and it was great. Uh, no pressure, Andy. Um, uh, so, uh, so he's going to come and speak to us. Uh, just, he's written a couple of books which are brilliant. Dima always says, um, you must read the Bible. And then read Global Humility Second. So that's one of his books. All right, it's a brilliant book on how to, uh, to love the nations and, and serve the nations. So I'd really encourage you. They're at the back. And they're at a bargain price of £10. So, uh, so if you want one of those, please grab one of those and give us, give us your money. All right, I'm going to hand over to Andy. Go. <laughs> Thanks, Al. Uh, morning, everyone. Really great to be with you guys. Just lovely worshipping. I just, I'm still feeling after COVID and like sitting at home and watching church on your screen. It's just so nice, isn't it, being with people and being able to enjoy the presence of God and listen to other people than me and my wife singing. Um, nothing wrong with my wife singing, but you know. Um, and what I want to do this morning is share a little bit from the Bible. Uh, it's a story in 1 Kings chapter 18. So if you've got a Bible or an app on your phone, uh, 1 Kings chapter 18 is where we're going to be. Great. We're going to be uh, in this story. It's 1 Kings chapter 18. Uh, you may have heard this story a lot of times. It's a great story from the Bible, really exciting story. Uh, this may be the first time you're ever hearing it, in which case you're in for a treat because it's a really great story. And it's the story of uh, Elijah on the top of Mount Carmel uh, facing up to the prophets of Baal. And um, this is the story that we're going to read today. And it's really about proving God uh, and seeing what it's like when, when kind of the odds are stacked against you, 450 to 1, and you feel small and unimportant and in a minority, which often we do as Christians. We often think, man, there's loads of people that don't like God, and then there's just me that, you know, maybe your kids are at school and there's loads of kids who don't go to church and don't know about Jesus, and then there's just your kid who does, and sometimes you can think, oh man, that's quite intimidating. Or maybe in your workplace, it's like nobody else believes in God and it's only you. And there's times when we can feel like that, a bit of a minority, a bit weird. Let's be honest, none of us became Christians to be cool and fit in, did we? That's not, that's not what we did, it's the opposite. And Elijah was like that, he was a little bit weird. Um, you could just turn to the person next to you and go, you're a bit weird. Um, you, know, you know the Bible... You know the Bible believes in aliens, right? The Bible says there is such a thing as an alien, and it's you. You're strangers and aliens in this world. And um, so turn to the person near you and say you're an alien and a freak. Um, but, but we know that about ourselves, but we just need to own it sometimes, okay? Rather than trying to fit in all the time. And that's really what Elijah's like. He knows that following God is unusual, and he's prepared to kind of face up to that. And that's what we see in this story. So let's pray, and then we're going to read this story together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your church. We just love being together, Lord. Um, and I thank you for your word, uh, which is alive, it's living, it's active, it's here now. Um, we just say, Lord, where your church meets your word, powerful and exciting things happen, and we're ready for that. We're excited. Uh, please speak into our hearts. 
please speak into our minds. Please speak to each person here in a different way. Uh, come Holy Spirit, be our teacher. Shed your warm, comforting, welcoming light upon us as we sit in your presence. Oh Lord. Amen. Amen. Right, here we go. Story from the Bible. Uh, 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 19. This is Elijah speaking. Now therefore send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel and the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said to them, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. So in the nation, there's been three and a half years of no rain. And that's really difficult. It's been a tough time that you need rain to grow crops and have food. They don't have import from other countries or supermarkets, you know, so vulnerable people have really suffered during this time. Uh, the nation has been brought to its knees economically. It's been a really tough three and a half years, no rain. And what's happened is some people are starting to follow this other god called Baal. And Baal in particular was a rain god. So they thought, we're not getting answers from, from Yahweh, so we're going to go to this rain god and maybe get some answers from him. And, and it's not that they'd abandoned God completely and just following Baal, it's that they're wavering between both. So they go to God for like spiritual stuff, like good moral laws and nice warm fuzzy feelings and singing. Um, but then they go to Baal for all the practical stuff, like rain and crops and stuff that they need in their life. So you've got spiritual and kind of material or invisible stuff, visible stuff, ultimate stuff, uh, immediate stuff. And to be honest, I don't know about you, I think a lot of us often end up in that kind of place where it's like, well, I'll go to church for some of the God stuff, but when I've got another kind of problem in my life, I'll go somewhere else. I'll go to the bank to fix it, or I'll go to the bottle to make me feel better, or I'll go to McDonald's, that usually cheers me up. Or I'll, I'll, so, like, God can do some stuff, but there are other things where I go somewhere else. And I, I, I've, do you see what I mean? And, and Elijah's very clear here. He says, actually, the, the only way that relationship God works is if it's exclusive. The only way, you can't go to God for some stuff and then other places for other stuff. The only way that walking with God works is if he's got all of you, all of your attention, all of your emotion. You can't serve two masters. So he's challenging them here. And they call the whole nation to this mountain, Mount Carmel, which is in the north of the country of Israel, overlooking the sea. So you've got the blue Mediterranean, all right? Lovely holiday destination. You can go there today. I was there a couple of years ago. Lovely place, okay? overlooking the blue Mediterranean, blue sky. It hasn't rained for three and a half years. Everything's dry and crunchy on the ground. All the land is hard. They call the whole nation, because it's a crisis, national crisis, the whole nation travel, gather there on this mountain. On the one side, you've got the 450 prophets of Baal saying, we're going to prove that Baal is real. You guys are the prophets of Baal, okay? Congratulations this morning. Ooh. This side is Baal's side. And then over here, 
You've just got Elijah, all on his Todd, all on his own. It's just me against the world, yeah? Standing here. And that's the, that's the scene. So verse 22. Elijah said to the people, I, only I, am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. So let two bulls be given to us, and let them choose one bull for themselves and cut it in pieces and lay it on the wood, but put no fire on it. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood and put no fire on it. And you will call upon the name of your God, and I will call upon the name of the Lord, and the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people answered, that's a good plan. Okay, that's a good test. Do you know why? Because they're hungry, and there are two bulls that are going to get cooked. They're thinking, National Barbecue Day. Okay? Beef. And so he sets up the test, but he allows it to be weighted strongly in Baal's favour. They can choose the best bull. They've got 450 men. They can go first. Why would you do that? Because he's confident. They can do everything they want. He's confident. I'll choose last. I'll go last. I'll be on my own. You know, it's important to understand. Sometimes we think where there's a crowd or popularity or big is better and that's a sign of blessing and a sign of the presence of God. Not always in the Bible. And that's what we see here. Uh, The odds, 450 to 1. It's not great odds, but if you bet on that and you win, your quid's in. And um, here we go with what's going to happen. Verse 25. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, you go first. Choose for yourselves one bull and prepare it first. So they choose the most most flammable bull. (laughs) This one looks like it will burn. You prepare it, uh, for you are many, and you call upon the name of your God, but don't put any fire to it. And they took the bull that was given them, and they prepared it, and they called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon. I don't know how long you pray for. This is a long prayer. Oh, Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered. And they limped around the altar that they'd made. So it's all very self-driven. Um, you choose the bull, you build a brand new altar, um, you, you do it all your way and then ask God to bless it. And that's not going to work, is it? But you know sometimes we do that, I don't know about you, it's like, well God, this is my plan, please bless it. This is what I'm going to do in 2022, this is, these are my plans. Oh God, please come and bless it. And God's going, no, 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 no. Who's the king of the universe? It's not... That's not how we do it. It's not you build your altar, you choose your bull, and then I'm going to bless it. No, it's, I've got a plan for your life. I've designed things for you before you were born. I know what you're going to do in 2022. I've got a plan for your life, and it's amazing. It's not about you build it and then hope I'll bless it. It's you seek me, and I'll show you what to do with your life, yeah? It's exciting, but it's a, it's a different way around. Do you understand? And so, at noon, verse 27, Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for he's a god. Maybe he's musing. Maybe he's relieving himself. Maybe he's on a journey. Or maybe he's asleep and you need to wake him up. So he mocks them. Now, just a note of caution on mocking. If you're going to mock, you need to do it properly and to the right people. Okay? We don't mock people 
with other beliefs than us. We, as Christians, we don't mock people from other religions. If you're here today and you follow another religion and you're visiting, you're very welcome. We love, we welcome, we, it's great to have you here. We don't make fun of people with other belief systems. We want to be winsome and gentle and kind, and we pray for people. Who he's mocking here is people from his own community, from, from his own religion, who have got it wrong and are saying, we're going to follow God and we're going to follow Baal. Okay, so if you know people who say they're Christians, but they don't live like Christians, you can mock them. You can call them out. Does that make sense? But if it's people from outside the church community, we're kind and sensitive and gracious to them. The Bible's very clear about that. Verse 28. They cried aloud and they cut themselves with swords and lances until the blood gushed out of them. They're, they're showing how passionate they are as they're praying. Cut themselves with swords. They cut themselves with lances. I don't know how you do that. A lance is long. Maybe they were cutting each other. You know, you do me, then I'll do you. But what they're trying to do is they're trying to show Baal that they're passionate and sincere and serious. And you know it's possible for people to have conviction, to be passionate, to be sincere and serious about something, but to be totally wrong. Alex supports Liverpool. <laughs> And midday passed, and they raved on until the time of the oblation, the evening sacrifice. But there was no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention. Verse 30. Then Elijah said to all the people, so now it's coming to the time of the evening sacrifice. That's like 3 p.m. It's just starting to turn into dusk. They've been going all day. All the people of Israel have been gathered round waiting for their barbecued beef and nothing's happened. And the, the chopped up bull is starting to smell and it's got flies on it, but there's no fire. And all the prophets are bleeding and tired and nothing's happened. And everyone's waiting. And now it's evening. And Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. And all the people came over to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. So the Baal priests, they built a brand new shiny altar. Didn't work. Elijah takes an old altar of the Lord that had been there for generations but had been fallen into disrepair and he rebuilds it. And you know, so often we think if it's new, it's better. You know, iPhone 8 is better than iPhone 7. Jordan 4s are better than Jordan 1s. But in our faith, it's the other way around. The older something is, the more authentic it is, the longer it's stood. There's been worship at your cathedral site since the 8th century. That shows you something about faithful witness in the town of Worcester, doesn't it? Incredible. The older something is, the more authentic it is. Don't be distracted by what's new and shiny and trendy. Verse 31, Elijah took the 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob to whom the word of the Lord came, had, saying, Israel should be your name. And with the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he dug a trench around the altar as great as would contain two seers of seed. And he put the wood in order and he cut the bull in pieces and he laid it on the wood. 
And then he said, fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And there's no water. It hasn't rained for three years. But this is the mountains by the sea. So it's probably seawater. So guys go down, four big jars, get water, pour it onto everything. Everyone's thinking, what are you doing? We're supposed to be cooking the bull. You're washing it. Yeah, it's not going to cook if it's wet. Then he go, they sends them again, second time, four more jars, pours it. Sends them again, third time. So it's drenched with water. 12 stones, 12 jars of water to represent the history of Israel, the, the oldness, the 12 tribes. Verse 36, and at the time of the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet came near and he said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I'm your servant and that I've done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me that this people might know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back to them, to you. And um, it's quite a short prayer compared to the other guys that prayed for hours and hours and hours. And then he stops and everybody waits and they all look up at the sky and it's blue and turning to dusk. I don't know if you've ever felt like that. You're like, God, I've stuck my neck out here. Where are you? I prayed for a sick person in my office, and are they going to get healed? <laughs> um, I told someone about Jesus, and they laughed at me. I, I, I took a step of faith. God, where are you? Are you going to show yourself? Are you going to prove yourself? And Elijah's waiting. Then verse 38. Then the fire of the Lord fell out of the sky, and it consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust. And it licked up all the water that was in the trench. And when the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Everyone saw it. That's the story. What do we learn from this story? Just a few things I'm going to pull out. Uh, number one, God provides sometimes space for us to reflect and change. So the drought's been going on for three and a half years. Um, in the Bible, seven years is like a full, perfect, decided time, complete time. Three and a half is half of that. So three and a half years is like, it's not done forever. You've got time to reflect and change something. So the drought, the no rain for three and a half, it's not a punishment from God. It's God trying to get people's attention to make them thirsty so that they'll look to him and reflect on their ways. And we get times in our lives that are an opportunity to reflect and think about what we've been doing. And many would say this kind of COVID season, the last couple of years, I hope it doesn't go on for three and a half years. Um, but many would say this has been like that. It's been God getting our attention, a chance to reflect and pray and seek him and go, are there things that I need to change in my life? Are you doing that? Is that what's happening in your heart? And, and in particular, there's this tension between going to God for spiritual stuff, but then going somewhere else for other stuff. And that's what's being called out in this story. And we all have things like that in our lives. And it's a chance for us to reflect and go, God, I'm aware that sometimes I go over here for this or over here for comfort or over here when I'm feeling low. Or, you know, and it's like, no, God, I want to find a way of making my whole life belong to you. That's the call here, yeah? Secondly, everybody needs carmel moments. Not all the time, it would be exhausting, that kind of drama. But we all need moments as individuals and as church communities when we say, let's publicly 
ask God to come and show himself. And maybe you're at that place in your life right now. Sometimes it's at transition points in our life when you're just going from being a kid to being an adult or if you're changing job, or if you're going through a change in marital status. You know, those kind of transition points are often moments to really just lay it out there and say, God, please answer by fire. Need, need you here. I need to be confident about this. Ian said when they moved to Athens as a family, they spent time praying because they wanted to know it was the right thing from God, yeah? Number three, learning things from this story. Um, you get fire before you get rain. Uh, uh, what's always been interesting to me about this story, the problem isn't that there's no fire. The problem is that there's no rain. <laughs> it hasn't rained for three and a half years. They need rain. But when he prays, what comes out of the sky isn't rain, it's fire. And then later rain. In the next few verses, we have rain. But why does fire have to come before rain? Well, because the people have turned away from God. And so God is sad and angry about the state of the people. And the lack of rain is to get their attention. It's not the punishment. But there does need to be some drawing of a line, some punishment that comes. And so the sacrifice bull is a substitute. It's a proxy. It's, it's, it's in their place. So instead of the anger of God falling on the people and then being burned up, God's happy for there to be instead a bull on an altar laid on wood. So the fire is going to fall on the bull and burn it up. And you feel the heat and you see the flame and you jump off so the sparks don't get you. And, you, and that, that feeling of the heat, that shows you how God feels about sin. There is an anger and a, and a sadness and an uncontrollableness about fire. They hadn't discovered asbestos yet. They, they didn't know how to handle fire. And so there's a... And when you feel that, you think, when you see the fire fall on the sacrifice, you think, man, that was, should have been me. That's what I deserve, but God's putting it on the sacrifice instead of on me. And so when the fire comes and burns up the bull, then it's a chance for the rain to come. That's out of the way. A line is drawn. Now blessing can come. Now rain can come. Now the brown land can turn green and come alive and, and people can drink and have their thirst quenched. So it's fire and then rain. It's judgment and then blessing. It's death and then life. And this story is our story. It's our story. Ever since Eden, Adam and Eve, when they said, we want God plus the fruit. In other words, God plus doing some things our way. We're going to pick and choose what a bit of God and then a bit of our own decisions. As soon as they did that, and we all do that and have done that and keep doing that, they were thrown out of the garden where the rivers of life were, and they were thirsty. And humans all the way through history, we're thirsty. Our souls feel shriveled up and dry sometimes, and we need, we need to drink, we need blessing, we need life. We can't find it in other places. And all the way through the story of the world and the Bible, we see thirsty people trying to find ways of satisfying that thirst. But then we see at the right time towards evening a perfect sacrifice, not a bull, but God's own son, Jesus, on top of a hill at evening time, 3 p.m., laid on wood on the cross in our place as our proxy and we stand around and watch 
and the fire of God falls on him and he suffers and he dies. And when we see that sacrifice on the hill, Jesus on the cross, we think that should have been mine. That's what I deserve, yeah? All the stuff I've done wrong that I look there and it's, he's taken it and we feel it. But then because his fire and judgment and anger and sadness fell on Jesus, now the fire's gone, rain can come. And that's why after the death and resurrection of Jesus, you get Pentecost, you get the Holy Spirit poured out, you get people being able to drink and the world coming alive again and people, uh, the dry, brown, dead earth coming alive and becoming green and our souls being satisfied again. So after judgment comes blessing and after death comes life. And a line is drawn under things because of the sacrifice of Jesus. Amen? So this story shows us it's our story. And I guess I wanted to show you that because I think we all have moments where we think, man, I've messed up. I've done loads of stuff wrong. God is angry with me or sad with me or staying far away from me. I feel thirsty. And we all have moments like that. That's what happens when we sometimes choose God and sometimes choose other stuff. But what looking up on the hill at the cross of Jesus does for us is it says the anger and sadness of God, yeah, it's real. It's fallen on him. He's taken it. He's died. What's left for me now is blessing. It's the Holy Spirit. It's rain. It's drinking deep. It's new life. And it's not fair, is it? But it's incredible. And that's, that's the grace of God. That's, that's our story. That's what we live in the good of. And if you feel thirsty today, you can come and drink because Jesus has been laid on the altar and paid the price for us. Amen? Um, Story from the Bible. Hope you enjoyed it. Hanging back to Dima.